You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can hear all of our episodes over on firstpod.media. And you can follow us on social media under the same name. And today I am joined by Iditarod finisher Jed Stevenson calling in from Idaho. Jed, how's it going today? Oh, it's going great. I'm good to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. I know it's been a month or two since the race has been over. I'm sure you're recovering by now, but how is life back in Idaho? Oh, it's great. Um, I did run was probably the coolest, most uh, difficult, awesome experience of my life. So still just trying to kind of ruminate on it and try to make sense of it. And we're going to jump into that here in just a second. But before we do, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you're all about, please? Yeah, so my name is Jed Stevenson. I live in Sandpoint, Idaho, which is in the Panhandle. We're about 50 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, I have a wife, Amy Stevenson, and twin boys that are nine years old, and we live on a 10-acre little homestead um, out in the country, kind of in the foothills of the mountains, and uh, own 16 sled dogs. And uh, we've been working towards Iditarod uh, really hard in the last seven years. And I work in the ER. I'm an ER nurse. And uh, we moved here about eight years ago and um, called this home. So Idaho, a lot of people think about mushing hotbeds, and they think about Alaska, of course, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, those parts. What is the mushing scene in northern Idaho there? Uh, So north Idaho, it's a lot smaller. Um, There's some recreational mushers. Um, At the moment, I'm the only one that's doing mid-distance and long-distance. So there, there is a presence here. There are small races. Um, and if you go about six hours south, then you can get into the, there's a 300-mile race um, that we do in um, Cascade, Idaho. Let's talk about some of those other races. I know that you have done a couple in lead-up to Iditarod <laughs> this year, including the Eagle Cap uh, race we talked about earlier on. On our podcast, tell us a little bit about uh, your season leading up to the big race. 
Yeah, so in Idaho, um, it's all mountain climbing. Um, we don't have any flats here because um, to get into snow, you got to be in the mountains. And to get into the big trails, that's where you have to be. And so my dogs are accustomed to just doing a lot of vertical climbing. And um, Eagle Cap, I can't remember how many, how much vert they have. I think it's like 18,000 or wow. more. Uh, I think it's actually more. Yeah, I think it's 20-something thousand feet of vertical gain. That's not vertical gain and loss. That's just vertical gain. And so um, if your dogs aren't trained to climb, um, they're gonna they're not going to have very fun <laughs> doing these kind of races here. I re- and, uh, yeah, so Eagle Cap um, and Idaho Sled Dog Challenge is just like Eagle Cap. It's just longer um, and just, I mean, it's just mountain climbing. That's all it is. No flats. I remember driving through that area uh, last summer. We were doing a road trip from Seattle down to Dallas, and I commented to my wife, Michelle, this is where the Eagle Cap is held, and we were saying exactly that. My goodness, this is this is true mountain mushing here. It's a heck of a lot different than a lot of our races here in Alaska because a lot of times people enter Iditarod and they've never climbed any type of mountains, especially if they live here in the Matsu Valley and they get to the big race and they got to go over the Alaska range and all of a sudden their dogs aren't ready for it. But I am sure that with, with all of that that you did, your dogs were pretty well prepared. Is that right? Yeah. So Linwood Feeler, he's my mentor and he kind of reassured me that <clears throat> all the training that I was doing in uh, Idaho was like the best training that I could be doing and to just kind of focus on that because the hills, uh, once you get into the Alaska range, and there's a lot of other sections that are really hilly, like uh, from Iditarod to Shagalak is very hilly, from Ophir to Iditarod's uh, pretty hilly as well. And so even though it's not as mountainous as like some of the races that I've done, there, um, in Alaska, the, the trails are really steep, whereas the trails here are kind of engineered roads that we're just mushing on in the wintertime. And so the gradient is a lot more forgiving. It's longer you know, of a climb, but it's not as steep as Alaska. And so they're, they're, it's kind of it's a little different. And let's take a step back, if we could, Jed. Uh, you had mentioned in the um, in the lead up to our interview that you've been mushing for for quite a long time. I think I think you said you started when you were about fifteen years old. If we could jump back, what got you into the sport at the beginning? Yeah, so my uh, the genesis of like my dream started like when I was nine years old. Uh, my dad read to me a book by Gary Paulson, Dog Song. Uh, I think it was a Newbery Award winner, and it's about a native Inuit who kind of discovers the traditional ways of dog mushing and kind of goes out and has a kind of coming-of-age experience. And my dad read that to me in—we were living in Germany because my dad was Army. And, like, just being able to envision, you know, big wilderness— was like really intriguing to me because I growing up in Germany, you know, the wilderness is 
few and far between you know there's a lot of people in europe and so like it really captured the you know a boy's imagination and ever since then i wanted to run the iditarod and what year was that uh in, in terms of perspective so that would be oh let me think it would be like 1993 okay all right and that's that's sort of about the time i got started I, I was a little bit older than you of course but uh that early 90s period that's when a lot of uh, mushers really got their start at least uh wet their whistle if you will i remember reading those um uh books by gary paulson and of course seeing iron will the disney movie and that sort of thing and yeah. before you know it i was ready to jump on the trail as well so after reading the book and of course uh moving back to the states i it says here on your iditarod profile that you worked with billy snodgrass there in wyoming is that right yeah so billy snodgrass at that time had run the iditarod twice and um when i was 15 i, I you know the internet was just starting to kind of develop and so i emailed him because i got onto sleddogcentral.com which um existed back then um and he had advertised like he was selling some sled dogs and because he was in wyoming which was close i, I was living in kansas at that time and that was as close as i felt like i could get to dog mushing so I emailed him and he actually replied back to my dad. I was, I, I didn't even know, but I was using my dad's email account. And so my dad got the reply and my dad's all about dog mushing as well. And so he called me up, my dad called me up cause I was uh, visiting my grandparents in Utah. And he was like, yeah, um, I just got in contact with this dog musher in Wyoming. We're going to head up there and we're going to go meet him. And so I uh, met up with my dad and we went up there and I ended up staying with Billy Snodgrass for about three weeks uh, at his cabin. It was in the summertime. And so we were using four wheelers to train in the early morning. Um, and that was kind of where I started. And then in college, I went to college in Southern Idaho and in my uh, winter break, I would go and do dog sled tours with Billy Snodgrass um, just outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And so I did that for three years. And then I went up to Alaska after I graduated from college. So let's talk a little bit about your career trajectory. Uh, you had mentioned that you're an ER nurse. And I know that over the years, there's been a lot of nurses and doctors and, you know, professional medical professionals in particular that take on the Iditarod task, can you compare and contrast a little bit from the high stress and, you know, always moving and going in the ER compared to being out there in the wilderness with a dog team? Yeah, so um, dog mushing actually is what kind of got me into it. I really, um, so when I moved up to Alaska, I worked on some of the glacier tour um, operations with Linwood Fiedler um, outside of Juneau. And one of the things that I really enjoyed um, was taking care of the dog, you know, doing these assessments on the dog, you know, going and looking at every single paw, making sure they're healthy, and just, you know, really doing a good quality job of taking care of dogs. And I like, you know, I really, I like that feeling of taking care of you know, these animals. And some people are like, well, why didn't you go down the veterinarian route? Well, 
I thought that it, it was very translatable with humans as well. And so I was like, well, I really enjoyed dog mushing and taking care of, you know, dogs and doing the assessments. So I think, um, you know, nursing would kind of align with that um, discovery. And so that's kind of how I got into nursing. And, um, and dog mushing also really helps me when we have like a code blue, which is like when someone's dying and you're doing CPR and, you know, you're doing all the scary stuff to try to get them back to life and you're shocking them. Um, trying to stay calm in those situations is very similar similar to when like things go bad on the trail and you get into like a really bad dog tangle and you've got to stay really calm because your dogs feed off of your emotions. And so I like really enjoy the challenge of just trying to stay calm in really intense and situations. And so I felt like dog mushing prepared me for the ER. I love that perspective. I think that our listeners will will really enjoy that. Uh, just just the difference between the two, that compare and contrast, because it is high stress. Uh, you know, a lot of people think when you're out on a dog team, it's just you know you're sort of just kicking back and letting the dogs do your thing. But like you said, those tangles or those up and downs, like the steps and and that sort of area, you can really be on your toes, can't you? You bet. And I think that's when that's like what makes dog mushing really interesting because, it, you know, like when it's good, it's good. But when it gets bad, like it's really like it really gets bad because you're dealing with a lot of a lot of moving parts. And so problem solving and you're the only one who can solve the problem. So you can't like raise your hand and be like, hey, can I get some help here? <laughs> like you're by yourself and you got to solve all your problems. And I love that. Like that's I think that very like it kind of speaks to the kind of rugged individualism that is like embedded in the ethos of American culture. I like it. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the Iditarod itself. As as we know, uh, you finished your first Iditarod about a month or so ago, depending on when this airs. When did you decide this was the year? Was it something you planned for over the last few years, or was it just sort of one of those spur of the moments? I'm ready. I'm going to send in my application. Um, I was starting to kind of hone in on either this year or the year before, but because of COVID, you know, that just disrupted everything. And, you know, there were hardly any races that were ran uh, during COVID. And so that kind of pushed it back one more year. And so I think COVID by default kind of put me into this trajectory, which was good because I felt like my dogs came in like mature at their peak, um, like endurance and capabilities um, this year. And I, uh, so I felt like we were able to have a very good productive uh, race season. And how much, how much thinking about the race did you do? And I asked that because we spoke to uh, Eddie Burke uh, a few weeks ago, and he said he tried not to think a lot about the race before going in. He wanted to sort of, you know, jump on the trail and just see what it sort of threw at him, if you will. What about you? Did you have a much more detail-oriented plan, or was this just something, you know, I've, I've trained for, I'm ready for it, let's do it? Um, you know, I think I'm kind of like Eddie Burke. I, 
I didn't have, I didn't know the details of the, like each checkpoint. I knew, you know, kind of what my formula for running was going to be run six, sleep six, or run five, sleep five. Like that was my formula kind of going forward. And I was like, well, however that manifests itself, that's how I'm going to kind of tackle it. And, but before I started, uh, Linwood Fiedler, he sat me down every single night and we'd review every checkpoint. And um, so I had a little book with me of like things to expect, um, where you can, you know, rest in between checkpoints or at checkpoints, which checkpoints are good for 24ing, which ones, you know, are super windy, things like that. So I, I had a, like a knowledge of, of working knowledge of what's going on, but uh, not a not a real concrete plan. And how far into the race did you sort of just throw that notebook uh, over your shoulder and be done with it? Or did you follow that plan all the way to Nome? Um, oh, man, that's a good question. I I always looked at it to kind of glean information on what's going to be happening next. Um, but I was always tailoring my run rest schedule to what my dogs were needing and what I was needing as well. And, um, so yeah, I was, some of it, I kind of was regimented with other parts. I was very flexible and you have to be flexible because you don't know what's going to happen and weather's going to, you know, come at all different angles and you got to adapt to all that. And I remember during our Iditarod, we do a, I don't know if you know this, but we do a, a nightly recap every night during Iditarod. We've been doing it for years. And I remember talking about uh, you guys towards the back of the pack uh, with Gerhardt and Bridget and, and Jason and you just sort of back there together. Can you give us a little perspective about being uh, at the back of the pack, if you will, and just sort of sort of the lay of the land, if you can, about their race uh, in that position. Yeah, I think we were all kind of using the same formula where we're going, you know, run five, sleep five, or run six, sleep six. We're all basically doing that um, idea. Um, some were faster than others, and they were starting to kind of get ahead of me and, but I caught up to them in Shack Tulick because there was a big windstorm and everyone just kind of hunkered down in Shack Tulick for 24 hours. And uh, that's where I caught up to them and I rested there for 12 hours and then I was able to run with them, but they were always a little bit faster than me. And I was, you know, I just wanted to run my race and I wanted to, be with my dogs at their my dog's level and you know I wanted them to finish happy and healthy and so I was always kind of titrating my uh, run rest schedule according to what my dogs looked like. So you finished in 28th place uh, at exactly pretty much 12 days 12 days 44 minutes. How close was that to, to your schedule and uh, was that a, a good finish for you or did you expect more or what? Oh, I, I was just grateful that I finished. You know, I did a is a very difficult race. And you're, you're basically getting punched in the face every single day for 12 days. And so there's a lot that could go wrong. Um, and you've got to be able to adapt to, you know, what's given to you. 
at any you know situation and so I was just grateful to be able to you know get to the rolled arch and my dogs when I finished you know we snacked them we uh, got interviewed and my dogs just started barking and jumping in their harness telling me they still had energy in the tank they were still happy they were healthy and I said all right we we did what we came to do we wanted to finish and I wanted to have a happy healthy team and that's exactly what we did. I like it. Congratulations on the finish. I know that that is a huge endeavor for everybody. I don't think anybody in all of these years has ever said exactly what you did, where where you said you get punched in the face every day for 12 years. I might have to use that quote on, on social media. I really like that. So obviously you finished, uh, you took some time to, to reflect on a little bit, uh, made your way back to Idaho. I know you and I uh, went back and forth uh, trying to get this scheduled so everybody's schedules meshed. What's happening now, now that uh, you are back home, uh, it's spring, heading into summer? What's happening at the homestead? Yeah, so right now, um, so one of the agreements with uh, like me and my family was we were going to run Iditarod, and that was kind of going to be our culminating experience with dog mushing. And then we were going to move on from there and um, you know, pursue other dreams and aspirations. And so currently I've uh, been selling my dogs to other Iditarod race kennels. Um, I'm really happy to know that the majority of my dogs are going to be running Iditarod next year, uh, just in different teams. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to kind of step step back, but I'm wanting to get really engaged in the races here, um, specifically like the Idaho Sled Dog Challenge. I want to really kind of promote that race. I felt like it's just a very well put on race and it should uh i think over the years attract people from all around the country because i think it's uh it is a very good um race to prep you for i did her on and are you going to wear a different hat if you will as a, a race official or some type of volunteer or what yeah so i'm going to volunteer with them i'm going to try to um help fundraise do whatever it is they need me to do um with the talents and abilities that i have any way that i can help is kind of my focus i like it so jed before we go i always ask uh our mushers that are on to tell a quick story or two about uh one of your dogs it could be your favorite dog your lead dog one that really stepped up do you have a quick story about one of them yeah, um, I could talk about, man, I could talk about every single one of them. Um, but I'll just talk about Boomer. Boomer is, he's a three-year-old male. He's very energetic. Um, he's hard to handle because he's got so much energy. And <clears throat> he's a big dog. I mean, he's 65 plus pounds. And um, he was always excited to get going at every single checkpoint um when we finish the race he's jumping in his harness to keep going he's barking and like psychologically like that's really important for both me and the rest of the dogs because he, he kind of plays like the role of a cheerleader 
where he's getting everybody kind of amped up and, you know, really uh, engaged in, you know, getting down the trail. And, you know, you just like, you just really appreciate those dogs that, you know, when you're deep into that race, you know, you're, you're 900 miles in and like at White Mountain, I took so much pride when I pulled my, I told someone I needed help to stand on my break because I knew my team was going to rock it out of White Mountain. And I had such pride that my team was so energetic and they, the, the people at the checkpoint mentioned, they're like, man, your team is so, you know, they're still crazy. And they, they thought that was just a beautiful thing. And I, uh, I'm just so grateful for Boomer and, you know, there's, uh, three or four other dogs that are very vocal and, uh, but Boomer, he's just kind of special because he's just pure kinetic energy. That, that's and a I cool, love that dog. That's a cool and story. He'll be, he'll be, yeah. And he'll be running. I did a rod next year, hopefully with Josie Tier, who's uh, living in Fairbanks now. And, um, she's running him, um, at the moment. Cool. And you said White Mountain. So you were about 900 miles or so into the race and the, and they were still banging on the harness. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was my goal was to be able to maintain that magic. You know, Dallas CV talks about that. Um, you know, you got to keep that magic in your team where you, know, you got that, you know, that passion that's just, you know, hammering forward and so when i saw that at white mountain like it almost made me cry because i was like okay we did what we set out to do and that is maintain a happy healthy team and you know we ran a good um like ethical race we i always had the dogs like number one as my priority and like i just like it couldn't have ended better yeah, that that's how it should be, I think, and, and that that uh, that is a testament to to the care that you provide to your dogs. I know I was looking at that bio. You want a best cared for team, I believe, at the Eagle Cap. Is that right? Yeah, I've, I've won it multiple times. Eagle Cap um, and Idaho Sled Dog Challenge. I've won it three times. That that's awesome. So, Jed, uh, how can folks follow you on social media? Where are you most active? Do you have a website? Where can folks connect? Yeah, so my website is jedstevenson.com. Uh, that's spelled J-E-D-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-E-N. And then uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, people can find me there. I'm um, public there. And Instagram, nordic.wayfinding is my handle. Um, and those are kind of the main uh, ways that I uh, am out there on social media. And we'll link all of those over on the show notes page for this episode. Jed, before we go, is there anything else you want to mention? Anybody want to give a shout out to a sponsor or whomever the next minute or so can be yours? Oh, yeah. You know, I just I'd like to shout out to my dad who like always had my back. Like he helped me financially with this. Um, like if it wasn't for him, I couldn't have done it. Um, I'd shout out to the two mushers that are going to be running. I did her out as rookies next year with my dogs and that's Bryce Mumford and Joe. There you go. All right, Jed, hang on just a second while we end the show here. 
And on behalf of my guest today, Jed Stevenson, this is Robert Forto for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Thank you. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.